here. I've used the New Testament example on many occasions where in a couple of places it will just have a comma and then a tagline. Like, and it was winter. They were at the Feast of Dedication, comma, and it was winter. Well, the dedication is in reference to the temple, and there were two dedications, and neither of those were in the winter. So there's a hint that there's something a little bit more, and so the student of the Word of God, we have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to study that out. What is that in reference to? Well, that was in reference to the history of Israel in 167 A.D. after this marvelous Maccabean revolt and there was a dedication of the temple, another one that we were unaware of. History plays it out and there are some records of that and so Jesus was in participation and out of that came the celebration of, anyone, anyone? Hanukkah. Yeah, okay, so... Another Old Testament example would be in the book of Ruth, certainly in the book of Ruth, where it's, it gives information and it says it was the beginning of the harvest time. Hmm. That would give us an indication, do a little digging, do a little further digging. I'll leave that one for you. You can do some digging. So that's the remez. There's a hint of something more. The Duresh, the Duresh is the simplicity of how does it apply to me? What here in this text, in this historical narrative, in this prophetic word, in this portion of scripture from the prophets, what, how does that apply to me? What can I take away? How do I learn a lesson for today? What can I apply? Okay, so the Duresh. And then the final is the sod or the soda. And the soda, it is the deeper meaning. There's something even further beneath that if we dig, we'll discover. It's an opportunity again, and it's a challenge. And I would say to every one of us, each of us, we should be students of the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Students of the Word. When it comes to the Word of God, we say five things at Hillside for sure. Read it. Study it. Dig. Do some digging. Memorize the Word of God. Listen, every person here should be weekly memorizing Scripture. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Jesus, that was a weak amen, by the way. <laughs> Jesus quoted Scripture. In every assault from the evil one, he quoted Scripture. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God pulling down strongholds, casting down vain imaginations, bringing every thought captive. We do that by the word of God. So we should be memorizing. We should be meditating on the word of God. The psalmist said, I meditate day and night. Day and night. Do you find yourself meditating on the word of God? Encourage you in that area. And then finally, number five, you should be obeying the word of God. Can I get an amen? Right? We should be in walking in obedience. This book, both old and new, the Holy Bible, it is our rule of faith and Conduct how we live. Look, when my life doesn't align itself with the Word of God, does the Word of God need to change or do I need to change? I need to change. I need to change. So, those few things. So, that Hebraic hermeneutics. And the reason I say that is because there's a little bit more in the text that we're looking at, and that's where we're going to see portraits of the Messiah. There's a little bit more. 
a hint, the remez. And so I remind us that 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he told them, he said, these things happened to them. The them is Israel. These things happened to Israel. Now, they happened as examples. Examples. The Greek word there for examples is tupos. Everyone say tupos. Tupos. We get our English word type from tupos. It's a type. It's a picture of something that's future that's going to happen. It's a picture of some future event. It's an example, and history is going to repeat itself, if you will, some future event. And so these things happen as examples. They were written down for us to admonish us or for our admonition. They're, they're inspiring us. Oftentimes they're inspiring us what not to do. Israel did some things that we shouldn't repeat. And other times it's what we should do, where Israel got it right. And we should have those things working in our lives. So these are admonishments. Okay, and then Romans, Paul writing to the church in Romans or in Rome, in chapter 11, verse 25, he said, now listen, and I say this, and I'll quote this scripture, Romans eleven twenty-five. 25. It's one of five times that the Apostle Paul said, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning this matter. Now, it's very interesting to me and very interesting to many that the five times that God used the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, to pen out those words, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning Two things. Number one, the root word for ignorant is ignore. Listen, brothers, I don't want you to ignore this issue. Okay? So we should be paying attention to it. And ignorance is I have a lack of information. I have a lack of knowledge. I have a lack of understanding about these things. And he's saying, brethren, in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, uh, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now the subject matters that he's been talking about has been idolatry, idolatrous Israel, and yet a remnant that is not idolatrous. He talks about grace. He talks about works. He talks about the cultivated olive tree, and he talks about the wild olive tree. He talks about the root and the branches. He talks about Israel and the Gentiles. These are all types. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of these mystery, this mystery, this mystery. And it's played out in these types. And we see these types. And so when we look at the Old Testament scriptures, we can look for Christ literally on every page. Remember Psalm 40 and verse 7? Remember Psalm 40 and verse 7? The volume of the book is what? Written of me declares the Messiah, the volume of the book. So we're going to see Messiah on every page. And so today, with that, we're going to come to our text, Exodus chapter 21. Turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 21. We're only going to read a few excerpts from this. Last time we were together and I, I spoke, we looked at the law concerning servants. We looked at the ultimate servant, Jesus Christ. We reflected on Philippians chapter 2 and how that applies to you and I, he being the servant of all. We're going to begin today looking at, these are laws concerning violence. Laws concerning violence. 
And there's something interesting. There's actually a first mention of a city of refuge. And that will be our point today. So let's begin, let's begin in verse 12, and we'll go to probably verse 17 in this section. It says this, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So if someone strikes another someone and kills him, it's murder, and that person who does that will be put to death. And it happened very quickly. <laughs> there was no death row. They just executed judgment. Verse 13, however, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. In other words, if it happened that a scuffle occurred and I unintentionally clubbed this guy with my fist and he died. It was not an intentional thing. It was not premeditated murder. Nevertheless, it's murder, and I am a manslayer. But it was not intentional, and I did not even necessarily have hatred toward. And so God says, I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. So a place where the manslayer can flee to go and to be safe. This is the first mention of a city of refuge. And so we're going to talk about that. Let me finish these next few verses. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man sells him, or if he is found in his hand, surely he shall be put to death. How many of us remember the story of David and Bathsheba? We certainly remember that story. We remember that the prophet Nathan came to David and told David, King David, a story about a wealthy man who had many cattle, many sheep, many oxen, and his neighbor who only had one little lamb. And Nathan goes on to say that little lamb was like a daughter to him. And when this rich man had friends come to visit, the rich man left all of his animals alone but went and took by force that other, that little lamb or that daughter and killed that little lamb and offered it as food to his guests. And David was infuriated and he said, who is that man? He shall be put to death. David said that based on this scripture right here. Anyone who kidnaps and, uh, anyone who kidnaps a man and sell, uh, who strikes father, he who kidnaps a man and sells him or is found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Nathan is telling the story about how this man kidnapped, if you will, that man's daughter. And so David, with, in, with righteous indignation, said, that man should be put to death. Of course, you know the rest of the story. Nathan said, well, David, you're that man. Uh, and so, the law. And he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Now you'd find in this whole portion of scripture there is a lot of death penalty and reasons for the death penalty. Okay, are you ready for today's culture? Cursing a father or mother. The death penalty. If that was in operation in our society, we'd have a whole lot more respect 
for moms and dads. I'd like to suggest to you that we need a lot more respect in the home. And dads, I want to encourage you, it begins with you. It begins with you. Okay? So let's look at, let's look at verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait, God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. The first mention of a city of refuge. And I would like to suggest to you today that we have three portraits of Messiah in this portion. And the first portrait is Messiah, our city of refuge. Jesus, there is a type of Christ in the city of refuge. Now, if you turn in your Bibles with me, just a few pages to the right, to Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20 elaborates, and I'll give you a couple of other places that you can look and you can do study on your own. You can look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, more explanation of the cities of refuge. You could also look at Numbers chapter 35, more discussion of the cities of refuge. But Joshua, someone just got a little note, Happy Father's Day on their phone. That was exciting. I heard that. That's good times. Um, Chapter 20 of Joshua. Joshua is being instructed about cities of refuge. And he says these words. The Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. So here we have Moses' account in Exodus, and now God is speaking to Joshua, and he's referring to those cities that he had spoken through Moses. That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood was the next of kin or a kinsman. So the responsibility of a kinsman when there was a death was to avenge the blood. And it was legal for them to take the life of the one who accidentally killed or premeditatedly killed. It was their responsibility. In fact, if it didn't get done, it was a shame to the family. Imagine that for a moment. If our society worked that way today, how many of us would be prepared to go out and be an avenger of blood? That's a, that's a necessary thing. And there was, this was an important part of their living. And it raised the level of responsibility, certainly in family. So it goes on to say, verse 4, And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them, as one of them. Don't you love the fact that you and I, we are guilty. We are lawbreakers. The New Testament tells us if we violated God's law in one place, we are lawbreakers and we are guilty of the whole law. You and I, we're manslayers. Jesus clarifies murder. Begins with hatred. Begins with hatred. But maybe, maybe you violated the law somewhere else, but you're guilty of the whole law. And here's the thing. We go to the city, we, come, we run to Jesus. We run to Jesus. And he takes us in. 
as one of his own, as one of his own, one of them. And give him a place. You and I, we have a place in Christ. Can I get an amen? We have a place in Jesus. You have a place in Jesus. Some people say, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a place. I don't, in, I, I don't belong anywhere in this world. Well, that's true. And that is very true. Because your place is in Christ. Maybe you have a family member who doesn't know Jesus yet. Maybe they're isolated and they feel all alone. You can be the one who reminds them that God loves them desperately and he has a place for them. He has a place for them. He has a name for them. That they may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues them in our type, who is the avenger of blood? The New Testament tells us there is an accuser of the brethren and he's out for blood. He has come but to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Destroy. He is like that avenger of blood. He is coming after. He's pursuing and he wants to take our very lives. He wants you. He wants me. We have a place. We're safe. And the city of refuge, it is a city of salvation. It is a city of security. And it is a city of freedom. You see, when the person would share with the people at the gate, the elders at the gate, they would determine if it was premeditated or if it was accidental. If it's accidental, they say, come in the city, you have a place. And that person would be safe and have absolute liberty within the city bounds. If he happened to travel outside the city bounds, he was open game for the avenger of blood. There's a little bit of insight for you and I. Stay in Christ. Stay in Christ. The moment you start flirting with the borders is the moment your enemy starts trying to pick you up on his radar screen and start assaulting you. And temptation and threat will rise the closer that you and I get to the border. Hey, look, stay in the city. Stay in that city of refuge. Stay in Christ. Be deep in the city. Be deep in Christ. It goes on to say, then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in the city until he stands before the congregation of judgment or for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city, his own house, to the city which he fled. Now, when the high priest, during the days of the judgment at the city gate, when he dies, the man could now return to his own property and he has absolute freedom. The avenger of blood no longer can touch him. Messiah is our city of refuge. He is our city. Sinners, violators of the law, manslayers we are, we run into the arms of our Messiah. He identifies with us. He gives us his name. And he gives us a place to dwell. We are in a place of salvation. We are in a place of security. Now, this whole idea of a city of refuge references a key individual. 
the high priest. Herein lies a second portrait of Messiah. Jesus, or Messiah, our high priest. Our high priest. In fact, Hebrews says this of Jesus. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Like his brethren. Listen, our high priest, he is our kinship. He became man. God became flesh. The incarnation the virgin birth. It is the fulfillment of prophecy, all messianic prophecy, hinges on the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman. God became flesh. He became man. He is our kinship. Therefore, Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 17, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. God became like you and me. He did not have a sin nature like you and I do, but he has been tempted in every way we have. And he is able to help us because he overcame. He was without sin. So he's able to help us in our time of need. There's identity there. And it goes on to say in verse 17 of chapter 2, it says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Thanks be to God. Our high priest, Messiah, he is merciful and he's faithful. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? His tender mercies are what? New every morning. How many of us need a little mercy on a daily basis? Mercy. I need some mercy, right? Grace is getting that which we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. I'm so thankful I'm not getting what I deserve. How about you? He's merciful. We don't get what we deserve. Thanks be to God. Boy, when I violate the law, when I break the commandments, when I sin, I'm so thankful. He disciplines me, but I don't get what I deserve. The wages of sin is what? Death. But he died a substitutionary death. I don't get death. I get the discipline of the Lord, the, cha the chastening of the Lord, because he loves us. Just as a father chastens his son, so God chastens his children because he loves us. Thanks be to God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're loved by God. Loved by God. So Hebrews 2, 17 Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. To what? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Our high priest makes atonement or propitiation for our sin. He atones for our sin. Just as the high priest, during the days of the tabernacle, during the days of the temple, during the days of Herod's temple, up into that first century, Annually, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into, he would enter in to the Holy of Holies and he would make atonement for the people. He would intercede for the nation. Our high priest, he is ever making intercession. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says he lives 
to make intercession for the saints. He is still working. I'm reminded in John, John, when he was being, Jesus was being drilled by uh, some Pharisees, he says, look, my father has been working since the beginning, and I too am working. Jesus has not stopped working. He's still working. He's still working. Now, here's the interesting thing. Joshua 20 tells us that when the high priest dies, that the manslayer could go back to his home and he had absolute liberty and freedom from the avenger of blood. Gang, our high priest has died. Death had no hold on him, so he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he is still serving and working there. Lives to make intercession. But here's the thing. Our high priest has died. That means you and I, we have absolute liberty. Absolute liberty. We are in Christ and we can roam where God calls us to roam. We can go where God tells us to go. We're not bound by a walled city. We have liberty. And the avenger of blood has no power over us. Come on. Listen, you and I, we have diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity in Christ. We can trample upon snakes and scorpions and all, look at your neighbor and say, all, all the power of the evil one. Nothing shall harm us. Why? Because Christ has been given all authority. And he says, all authority has been given to me. And he says, behold, I give you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions. We can trample the enemy who is under our feet. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that Christ made a public spectacle of the principalities and the powers triumphing over them through the cross. Come on, he disarmed them. They're powerless against you and I. They've been disarmed. We're told we have weapons. He has no weapon. No weapon formed against us shall proper, prosper. There's no weapon that can be formed against us. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. We have the upper hand. We're on the hill, looking down into the valley. That poor guy's down there, it's like Goliath. Oh, he's got a big roar. We're like David. You come against us with spears and javelins. We come against you with the word of the Lord and the army and the captain of the hosts of the armies, Jesus. One little stone and a sling. Down goes the giants. We can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it will obey. Come on. Can I get an amen? Our high priest. Praise God. I encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews again. And I'm just kind of wetting your whistle. I'm just touching, touching the surface, skipping a stone, if you will, over these subject matters. The, honestly, the further you dig in Exodus chapters 21, 22, and 23, 
and you see these civil laws and that conduct for you and I and how we live responsibly amongst one another, there really is some fascinating pictures of Christ in there. Some further studies, if you will. The third, the third, the third, the third portrait of Messiah comes from uh, chapter 20, well, really both chapters 21 and 22. We're, we're reminded of Judges, Judges, not the book of Judges, but there were elders at the gates of the city who would judge the people and their stuff and their things. In fact, Exodus chapter 21 references it a couple of times, and chapter 22 references it at least three times. And we are told what, who those judges are in Joshua chapter 20 and verse 4. They're the elders of the city. So, I'm reminded today that the scriptures tell us that God is our judge. God is our judge. God is our judge. Psalm 50 and Psalm 75 amongst many others. God is our judge. The Psalms also remind us that God is our judge. He judges righteously. I'm so thankful for that. Because so often in my life, my judgment has been skewed. Has yours? And all too often, it's skewed in favor of me and what works best for me. And oftentimes, my thinking is skewed not by spiritual Dave, but flesh Dave. What's good for my flesh? Even the judgments that I make sometimes on my own conduct is unduly influenced by the flesh. Oh, to be righteous. God's judgment is always righteous. It's always in justice. It's always in truth. It's always upright. It's always with equity. And it's always with compassion. And you can read all about that in Psalm 72, Psalm 75, Psalm 96, Psalm 135. The Psalms are resplendent with all of these attributes of God who is our judge. John chapter 5 reminds us, verse 22 says, the Father judges no one. God the Father judges no one. But it says, he has committed all judgment to the Son. Jesus, Messiah, is the judge. Verse 27 of the same chapter says, he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. He's able to judge because he has gone through what you and I go through every single day. He knows. He understands. He gets it. You may be here today and you say, well, nobody understands me. I just want you to know that's not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Now, maybe nobody around you understands you, but there was one who fully understands every one of us. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the beauty about Jesus, we already know he's our city of refuge. So if you're feeling misunderstood and lonely and all alone, you have a place where you belong. Come on. He has a name for you and a place for you to dwell. And it's part of the church. And then we get to get to know one another and we begin to understand and we begin to navigate and we all have a common ground in Christ. Can I get an amen? That's a big deal. 
Now, I recognize that there's loneliness in the church, and I want to just suggest to you that ought not be. That ought not be. Part of that might be on our own shoulders. Part of that might be on your brothers and sisters. And you can look at your brother and sister and just sit next to you and say, I already forgive you. Because <laughs> that's how we need to operate. But we need a place to connect, and we need to get to know one another so that that isn't the case. But Messiah, our judge. Now listen. Messiah, as our judge, he is a judge who will keep you and I accountable. He's going to keep us accountable. Our conduct. Now, I don't know about you. This could be a scary thought. But everything we do is being recorded. It's being written down. I mean, even our thoughts are being written down. And we'll give an account. Scripture tells us we'll give an account for every idle word spoken. Ouch. Ow. Thoughts. All that. We'll give an account. Uh, now, it's compassionate. Thanks be to God. But it's real. It's not, it's not a judgment of salvation. If you're in Christ Jesus today, thanks be to God, you're forgiven. Look at your neighbor and say, Amen. You're forgiven, and you've been justified. God sees you just if you've never sinned, thanks be to God. But that doesn't take away that what we do in this life matters. And there is the judgment seat of Christ. It's a judgment of reward. And we're told that we all have a foundation that has been laid. No other foundation can be laid but that which was laid, that is Jesus Christ. And each one of us builds on that foundation whether we use wood, hay, and stubble, or precious stone, gold, and silver. It will all be tried by fire. Only those things that remain will have reward for. Makes me wonder, how am I building on that foundation? Am I using consumables, all of those things that are absolutely of zero eternal value? And we all have that stuff going on. I mean, we, we just do. But as we grow in Christ, the things we do in the flesh, the things we do for self, the things we do for reputation and all that minutia, we should be looking to begin to minimize those things and maximize the things we do in Christ for his kingdom's sake. Amen? Amen. Let's evaluate those things. Well, I have a whole lot of stuff I was going to say in this relationship, but I'm going to uh, give you the opportunity to look in the text. Uh, Christ, who is our great judge, reminded of the judgment seat of Christ, Romans 14, Reminding us again that our salvation is uh, grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. That foundation spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, really that Bema seat, that uh, being tried by fire, how we build gold, silver, precious stones, the good works in his name, or the wood, hay, and stubble, the worthlessness. It's all going to be revealed at the Bema seat. It's all going to be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be rewarded based on those good works, 
how faithfully we served Christ, how we obeyed the Great Commission, how victorious we were over sin, how well we controlled our tongues, that kind of stuff. We'll give an account. Uh, knowing this, knowing these things, Peter reminds us, what manner of man ought we be? What manner of man, recognizing that it's all gonna be tried, what manner of man ought I be? And so, what about you? We see these portraits of Messiah. We see Messiah, the city of refuge. Are you running and are you safe? We see Messiah as our great high priest, recognizing that he has died and he has rose again. Are you walking in freedom and liberty from the accusation of the evil one? Are you living in the liberty of mind or are you walking around in condemnation and guilt? You ought not be. You are free in the Lord. You are he whom the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. Free indeed. And finally, the ultimate judge. Thanks be to God, all judgment has been entrusted to him. So these things being said, let me transition and shift to dads. Let me just give an encouragement and an admonishment to dads. Dads. On this Father Day, Father Day, Father's Day, lead your homes, lead your homes to be cities of refuge. Your home should be a safe place. It may be the only safe place for your children. Let it be there. Regardless of where you, you may be a grandparent today. Hey, grandparents, come on. Let your home be a safe place when your children and your children's children and your children's children's children come. May, it, may they sense the peace of God. May they fully understand grace. Dads, it begins with you. Dads, it begins with you. Get to know your heavenly father who is full of love and full of mercy and full of faithfulness and full of grace, full of grace, generous, lavishing his love upon us. Let's be like that, dads. Secondly, lead your families in your priestly role, dads, where the principal thing as the priest of your home, you would make intercession for those under your roof, that you would pray for your children, that you would pray for your wife, that you would pray for their safety, that you would pray for them, for God's purpose in their future. If you've got little children, begin to pray for your kids daily for their future spouses. Daily pray with your children to be fully armed with the armor of God. Daily pray with your children, make confession before your father about your own inadequacies and your own failures so that they see what it means to be dependent upon the Lord, leaning on the Lord. Pray with your kids. I, I, I was reminded recently, we were talking about some children's church stuff, and I was reminded that when our kids were very, very young, I remember we, for Christmas one year, we got them a map of the world. And every single day, we would pray with our kids. Every single day, we would pray with our kids. And we would highlight a country in a particular color beginning at the beginning of the year. We would start maybe with a highlighter yellow. And we would pray for all 190 
nations or 150 nations, whatever they were, all those countries by name. And so every year they get to pray for each country at least twice. And countries that had missionaries in them, now it was Chile before and it was Bolivia, and you, you two have been prayed for for many, many years. And we would, the next year we would start with a different highlight or color. It would be green and then it was, you know, pink and then it was, and we would just highlight countries. In fact, Phil, when Phil was here, my daughter said to Phil, he said, or she said, uh, I remember you in, in Africa because I pray for you every single day or every single year, multiple, multiple times. But she actually prayed for the Malcolms and, uh, and Ken Huff in, in, uh, in Cambodia, like daily. And uh, it, it birthed something in them because there was leadership going on in a priestly role. So dads, let's lead from the very onset, and it's never too late to start. You say, well, I have teenage kids or I have adult children. Hey, start today if you haven't. Begin to intercede, begin to influence in that priestly role. And then finally, lead your children as a righteous judge. I'm so thankful for my wife. So thankful for God's plan in causing Adam to go into a deep sleep and taking some from his side and fashioning a woman and bringing the woman to him, that first marriage. A helpmate equal to him. A helpmate. My wife has been a helpmate. I was not a righteous judge when my children were little. I judged them out of convenience. Sometimes I just wanted it quiet in the house because I was watching football. What a tragedy. Dads, turn the TVs off. Get on the floor. Build a fort with some blankets. Play Legos. I remember I, my wife educated me quickly. Pretty quick, pretty, pretty savvy. <laughs> I learned there was more important things. And uh, we played plastic army men, yeah. little green army men. We played G.I. Joes. We played Legos. <laughs> when they got old enough to have Nerf guns, then pretty soon it was kick the can out in the street in the summer days. Just get to be a dad. Dads, you only have this age once and the next age once. You only get it once. Make the most and lead and be judicial with justice and kindness and goodness. I'm so thankful for my wife we get to do parenting together. And we still get to parent. And it's a beautiful thing. And to have adult children that still desire input from mom and dad. So, I have today a little gift for some dads. Well, for all dads. They're tools. Because every dad needs tools. You don't get all five of these. It's not a package for you. There's a little box up here. You get to choose which one you want. But it says in here that one of these tools has five positions. It's adjustable. Dads, you need to be adjustable. You need to understand the circumstance and adjust accordingly. 
also has a high leverage design. I want to suggest to dads that you have a leveraged position in Christ. It's leveraged in Christ. And you need to leverage that position. You need to operate from that place. The position of power in nearness with the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding of things, but in all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. And then there's, the next thing it says is, there's a wire cutter. Wire cutters. The scripture tells us that there are bonds that hold men fast to sin. You are supernatural wire cutters, dads. You can get in and cut the cords that hold children fast to sin. It's durable chrome and nickel steel. Dads, we need to be durable. Durable. We, we need to, we're in this for the long haul. You never give up parenting and you never stop parenting. You're in this for the long haul. Every dad said a strong amen. amen. Every dad said a strong amen. 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 Dads, we want to pray for you this morning. If you're a dad of any age, maybe you have one in the womb that makes you a dad, will you stand if you're a dad this morning? Just pops, all you pops stand up. Come on, dads. Let's give these guys a hand. Let's go. Come on. It's good stuff. Stay standing. If you're a potential dad, in other words, maybe you're a young married or you're a young adult, and you're like, I want to get married and I want to have kids. Why don't you stand up too? Come on, all you future, future dad types. There you go. Come on, let's get up for these guys. Amen. Dads and future dads, we have a tool up here for you. Uh, we want to pray with you. We want to ask God's anointing and blessing upon you. And we're going to be dismissed this morning to tear down. And uh, we'd love for you to stay and help, but we know some of you have plans right away. Uh, and remember, next Sunday is our graduation recognition at all levels, those who are going to be being promoted, et cetera. And uh, then we'll have that afterglow afterwards where we just get to eat some food together and have some fellowship. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for all the dads who are here and all the future dads who are here. We recognize that, Jesus, you are a city of refuge. And we're asking that you would anoint every one of these men as men who could lead their homes to be a city of refuge, a safe place where grace and mercy abounds, where there's liberty, and Lord, there is love. And so, God, will you anoint each of these fathers, each of these future fathers, with those giftings, those, that Holy Spirit anointing. We pray, Lord, for each of these dads in the role of being the priest of their home, that they would be those who come with intercessions, requests, prayers, supplications, interceding for their children, interceding for their families, interceding for their children's friends, future spouses. God, anoint them with endurance, anoint them with vision, anoint them with your blessings in this area, reminding us that you are 
our great high priest and you live to intercede for your children. So, God, may we see that resplendent in your, in your heads of households, if you will. God, help, we pray, and anoint. And then finally, the anointing of justice. Justice. Impartial, according to the word of God, not self-centered, not selfish, but selfless. Biblical, godly, justice, mercy, not neglecting compassion, mercy. Father, anoint and bless dads. And God, will you fill their tool bags with those necessary tools to be godly examples as they follow Christ our Messiah. God, will you continue that marvelous work of transforming them from glory to glory into the image of the only begotten of God the Father. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessing, your benediction. Go with us as we go out into your mission field. Lord, help us to reach those who need Jesus. We love you and we thank you and ask your blessing and benediction in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. Amen. Fellas, be sure to come up, stop by, grab a, grab a tool. I'm asking that you just take one. I know some of you guys have sticky fingers, so try and just take one. And uh, the Lord bless you and keep you this week.